Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of the Archives and Special Collections of the UAA APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. This month on Archiving AK, we're doing a double header. This past year, Gwen and Veronica have both applied for and received grant funding for projects here at the archives. Part one was Gwen, now part two is Veronica and her recent grants to make some of our audiovisual materials more accessible. So your project started actually quite a few years ago. Why don't you talk a little bit about the need you saw? Mm-hmm. The first need came from wanting to kind of get a better handle or a better sense of our audio-video materials mm-hmm. within the archives. Um, and then that kind of morphed into realizing that, especially with, like, the 1964 earthquake, those we have a lot of audio reels relating to the earthquake in the Genie Chance papers, mm-hmm. and those have been requested a lot. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in order for our users to listen to them, they would have to pay for the digitization of those materials themselves because we cannot afford it as an institution. Right. So that was kind of the first need. And then that morphed into, you know, more questions from users relating to some of the audio, video, and film in our collections. And realizing that, you know, a lot of these are an obsolete media, like all of them are an obsolete (laughs) media. (laughs) Even audio cassettes. Um, are getting there. In a, in a way, it's to, pres- to preserve the material, digitize it, um, even though the preservation copy will always be the original copy in these cases. Well, in film it will be, but for mm-hmm. some of the odder video formats, some of the video, yeah. they're dying. And some video is much better than others. Right. Um, and then just a general interest, kind of myself, and then for mm-hmm. our users, too, to see what is on this stuff. We have so many unlabeled AV materials. In collections, because people don't always label their yeah. stuff. Or they label incorrectly. Uh, yeah, even scarier. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a better way to describe it if we know what's on it. Right. But unfortunately, in order to know what's on it, you have to digitize it, and that costs a lot of money. Right. And so that's kind of where this came from, was to really try to digitize our the audio, video, and film in our holdings. Mm-hmm. And it's also why I split it up to get two separate grants. Okay. Um, because, you know, there is the Atwood Foundation, which is the one grant that I received, and that one is strictly for Anchorage-related materials mm-hmm. due to what the um, Atwood Foundation requires. And it has to, they recommend that it follows what the Atwood family was involved in personally. Mm-hmm. So what were their interests? So their interests were Anchorage, obviously, right. journalism, Right. Um, philanthropy. So they, so Evangeline was really big in donating money to the arts. Mm-hmm. So I tried to focus on um, some of our more arts, our more art collections. Mm-hmm. So the symphony and the orchestra um, and the Alaska Repertory Theater. And then the other grant was strictly for public health in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And that one is through the Council on Library and Information Resources Recordings at Risk Program. And that came from a couple of our researchers 
who have been pretty consistently coming in the last few years and requesting materials. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of audio and video and film relating to public health in Alaska that is also inaccessible because of the formats. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't know what's on them. And I was working in the Walter Johnson papers, and we just got this addition from his wife. And there was a lot of audio reels, and there are dictabelts in there, which is the first time I've ever seen a dictabelt. <laughs> and it was for the creation of the Community Health Aid Program, mm-hmm. which is to send you know health aids to villages in Alaska. And it, I believe, trained people from villages to mm-hmm. do this work and training within, them, yeah, within their own villages, right? Mm-hmm. And it still exists today. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, not much out there on the creation of this program that has benefited so many people within Alaska. So I thought it would be kind of interesting to get this to get these digitized, and because especially with the Johnson materials, they were. I think they were stored in a shed outside, or Mm -hmm. some of them were. So a lot of the audio reels came in quite moldy. And then we have the dictabelts, which were, you know, stored flat. And they're not, I don't think they're supposed to be stored flat. And they have paper clips on them, (laughs) which doesn't help preservation either because of what a dictabelt is. Right. And there was a need to get that digitized. So that kind of, morphed into, well, what else do we have within public health in Alaska? And we, we got in the Bill Mills collection that has a lot of frostbite research and cold mm-hmm. immersion research. And then Fred Milan's papers, he also has a lot of, I think, I think it's also cold immersion research. And then um, he has recordings from the Institute for Circumpolar Health, mm-hmm. a couple of those meetings. So that's kind of where that one came from. It, it was a need because a lot of this material in these collections kind of relate to the major impact that public health research in Alaska had, mm-hmm. whether good or bad. And um, right. kind of came from there and the need from our users. Okay. So we're talking about getting formats made that are easy for access as well mm-hmm. as for potential long-term preservation, although with digital, that's crazy expensive as we all know. So the needs coming from, from users and for, you know, to do our due diligence as an archives to care for and preserve these materials. Mm-hmm. You actually, uh, we got funding within the grants to pay for some student time, at least one of them, I think, and to do some of the work. So why don't you talk a little bit about the workflow that you set up to handle this process? Because it's a fair amount of material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Atwood Foundation grant, which is uh, first one that I received, and the first one where we got the digital materials back. Mm-hmm. I think that is about 110 items or 120 items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to keep track of. So the workflow document is kind of something that I created to help keep the steps in order because we not only want to make sure that they're identified correctly, we want to make sure that they're described. And because we're able to finally view them or listen to them, mm-hmm. we we know what's on them and we can describe it better than what's in the finding aid. Right. So our users know as well. Um, And then it's, you know, selecting which ones should go online, be made available through Alaska's digital archives and YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, So none of the material is directly available through Alaska's digital archives. There is an item record and that links to YouTube. Mm -hmm. So that is also part of the workflow document. It's um, selection of, 
you know, should this go online? Has it been uploaded to the digital archives and has it been uploaded to YouTube? And then because of just how many items we have, it's the easiest way to keep track of where everything is in the process. Right. So what was your decision-making? What is your decision-making process once something's been viewed about deciding whether, okay, we're going to provide in-house access to it upon request or no, we're actually going to put it up on the digital archives and via YouTube? With the Atwood Foundation materials, so the Anchorage-related items, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a little bit different than the items for public health history. Right. So the Anchorage stuff, it's more um, if it's duplicate. So there there are some duplicate digital materials. So there is two or three video, like two-inch video of the same thing, especially in the the, uh, opera, the Civic Opera Association Mm -hmm. records. And I don't want to put duplicate materials right. up, or they're very similar. So they might, so they're advertisements. They're they're called PSAs. They're thirty second Public commercials. Service announcements. Yeah. yeah, and they're similar, but a little bit different. So it was really just deciding which one is of better quality mm-hmm. to go online. But your general assumption with those yeah. materials is that they should go online. They should go online. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. With the earthquake materials that's a little bit different I don't I didn't want to put all of them online just because it's I think that one is about 60 to 70 items there's a lot of the audio reels Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are slightly repetitive Mm -hmm. so that one was really just selecting based on what we've experienced from our users and what our users tend to be a little bit more interested in Mm -hmm. and then I'm I really focus on the on the recordings from closer to the earthquake um, so the ones from, you know, March 27th, 28th and 29th. And then, um, if there are press conferences or the governor speaking those ones as well. Right. But I would say I probably picked about over half for the earthquake. Mm-hmm. And then with all the other items for that's Anchorage related, almost it's pretty much everything else goes online except for some of the Atwood family video because there's some in the Atwood family papers where you know it's of their dog it's like an hour and a half of their dogs <laughs> and <laughs> take pictures of our pets <laughs> but I just I think that putting that online is <laughs> probably um, <laughs> not the best use of your time yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still accessible but... I mean if we someday we get a lot of requests for videos of people's dogs then maybe we can put that one online <laughs> Um, but for now, the, the Atwood family, that one was more, you know, the gold pan awards and I did get Mm the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce's permission to put those online. Mm -hmm. Um, and then some of more of like the benefit, um, events that the Atwoods attended and then some of their speeches and then a couple of the like Anchorage history productions that they were involved in that were uh, made by APU, Mm -hmm. Alaska Pacific University. So it's kind of, it was kind of picking and choosing, but basing it on, is there a duplicate? And we don't want to put that online or something that's similar. Mm-hmm. And then what would benefit our users the most? What would our users be interested in? What have we been seeing in past reference requests that we, that I think that our users would want to see or hear? Right. And certainly that leaves us the option if use increases mm-hmm. in the other sectors. Mm-hmm. To and, go online with those two. Yeah, but I think I probably selected about three quarters of the materials from the Atwood Foundation mm-hmm. grant to be put online. Right. 
It was it was quite a bit. I know with you with the UAA athletics, I'm putting all of those online. Right. And there's about I think there's seven of those video and film. Okay. I was surprised it was a film. So you said that the the choice, the decisions, the priorities for the public mm-hmm. health materials were very different. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So with the public health materials, we don't really know what's on them. Right. We have very limited description for most of those items. Some of them are a person might just say a person's name. Mm-hmm. So there's audio reels in the in Walter Johnson papers that just say Francis Lee. Okay. And I don't know who that is. But then something else says Francis Lee Medical Journal. So I'm assuming something to do with medicine. So I right. I did select that one. But with putting those online, that one that one is a little bit more tricky because I don't know what's on them. So with the Outwood Foundation grant, I was able to just read the descriptions that we already had and choose which ones would go online, mm-hmm. kind of even before I viewed them. Right. Um, a UAA hockey game is a UAA right. hockey game. But with, you know, some of the materials in Bill Mills that's labeled like cold immersion study, I, do, I don't know what that – I can guess what that means, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to – you know, go against any HIPAA right. if I do put that online. I don't know if it's patients. I don't know what kind of study it is. I don't know if these people, like if they're subjects, if, if there's medical subjects, right. if they signed a release to do this, right. if they're Alaska Native, are there cultural sensitivities within this? Is You know, you just, with the medical stuff, it's a little bit hard to know because some of these are studies on, on people. Right. And you want to be very careful about, what goes online. Yeah, I mean, they could be as simple as an interview with somebody conducting a researcher conducting a study talking about the generics of their research on down to actually recording somebody going through a study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you just don't know. Right. Um, so that one, I can't, I can't even select until I actually view or listen to right. those materials. I'm going to assume that the material is relating to the creation of the Community Health Aid Program are probably going to be okay to put online. Mm-hmm. But any of the any of the materials that's labeled like medical study right. or something similar to that might not be something that should <laughs> go online and access should be restricted. You know, it makes me think of the various videos and recordings I have on my phone and other yeah. <laughs> things and how badly they're labeled <laughs> and how I need to not do that. Yeah. You know, it's, get something on there that's at least a little descriptive so people can know what to expect. Yeah. Because it's not like you could, I mean, with film, you can hold it up to the light and see what the frames are showing you, but with any other, whether it be digital or whether it be magnetic media, um, any sort of optical media, you're not going to have the yeah. opportunity to really see what it is. Yeah, you just don't really know. Like, some of them are just labeled, and Bill Mills's paper is just Dr. Mills. I mean, yeah, what what does that mean? Right. So it's kind of... And that's even assuming that we're labeled. I think there were a couple in the Jeannie Chance materials that didn't even have labels on them, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. There are some in her papers that were unlabeled. There are some films that I had digitized with the Atwood Foundation grant that were unlabeled. Mm-hmm. So I did half of the, that collection this round, and I hope to get another grant in the future to do more materials of Anchorage related because we have a lot of items right. for that. Yes, 500 or 600, and I'm still finding more. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and more always come in the door. Yeah. 
we just got a collection last week that includes a lot of Anchorage Opera recordings because um, the gentleman who we got them from, his sister, was a performer mm-hmm. locally. So those are going to add to the list. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice little segue, actually, into the processes of getting the grant, which I think in this case were, were very different. Mm-hmm. Um, Clear is a national org. The funding tends to be a little more sizable than than the standard, probably, Atwood Foundation grant. Why don't you talk a little bit about both of those in turn in the process of getting those grants? Yeah, so with the Atwood Foundation, because that one is local um, and it's in Anchorage, I was able to go there and meet with Ira Perman. Mm-hmm. He's the director, He's the right? director. So I was able to meet with Ira, <laughs> and we talked about the grant, and because of funding abilities through the Atwood Foundation, he suggested breaking my initial grant up into a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked for $30,000 spread over three years, and now I'm kind of questioning if I should have asked for a bit more mm-hmm. um, just because of the cost. So anyway, so I met with Ira and we talked about the grant and he told me specifically what they were looking for, which is kind of what I assumed. And then that one, um, I had to write a narrative and it just had to be one to two pages. Mm-hmm. And it was about, you know, the project and the materials. And I um, also put in an inventory list and spread that over three years. So what would be done in year one, what would be done in year two and year three, just, and that was the box and fuller level listing of and descriptions of all of the items that would be digitized mm-hmm. if we got funding. Even if they weren't labeled, that was in the description. Right. Um, so just writing that one, um, I would say the process was a little bit more simple mm-hmm. than the clear grant because it was a one to two page narrative and then the inventory list. And I would say for both of the grants, the inventory list probably took a lot longer than <laughs> anything else. Um, the clear grant though is a little bit more specific. It's a multiple page question document. It has word maximums. Mm. So you can only describe the project in 500 words. You can only describe the materials that you're going to get digitized in about 500 words. And thus the reason for going with the topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so with the clear grant, It's probably a little bit easier if the institution goes for, you know, one collection. If there's enough materials in one collection to get digitized, it's a lot easier to describe the project. But if there's a, if the project is something with multiple collections and multiple different types of items and multiple formats, it is a little bit harder to do and clear recordings at risk pretty much will tell you that. Right. That if it is a multiple item, multiple collection grant, the application process might be a little bit harder for you. But I did it anyway. <laughs> um, you did it. And, you, definitely you know, because they're, they're, they also have a limit on how much money you can ask for. So it's between ten dollars and $50,000. Okay. And we don't have $10,000 worth of digitization in one collection. Right. Um, it's really just spread out. And... I just thought that these materials were so important that, you know, it's worth trying to get this grant for. Well, we have a fair amount of research in the broad Mm -hmm. topic area. Our researchers don't restrict themselves to one collection either. Never. Yeah. Not not in this field anyway. Yeah. They will look at almost every collection relating to public health. Right. um, That they can. And that's why 
I was turned down the first time with the clear grant. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because of the cultural sensitivities and copyright section. I think that because this is Alaska, it's a little bit different than places in the lower 48 mm-hmm. where we have multiple Alaska Native groups within Alaska. Right. And many of them have their own beliefs and cultural sensitivities and within, you know, that within their their tribe, even the villages themselves might have different cultural sensitivities or beliefs. Mm-hmm. And in the comments of the first grant, they really wanted me to partner with an Alaska Native group. But there's no one that could speak yeah. for everybody. Right. And I, I don't feel Not that's at that right. level. Anyway. Yeah. And I don't right. know where a lot of, because I don't know what's on these items. I don't know where they were filmed, where they took place, where those patients might have lived. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a vast <laughs> difference between, say, Fort Rainwright and uh, Metlakatla. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You like, know. I don't want to partner with a Clinkett or Haida organization when the material, most of the material relates to the Inupiaq. Right. And, and I don't know what it, what it relates to. So I really had to explain in the second round um, multiple times that mm-hmm. there is no single tribal authority for Alaska. Right. That it's really dependent on the group that these could pertain to. And then within that. The place. The place. Right. Um, because I don't want to, you know, want to talk to people in Ukiakvik over items that might relate to Kotzebue. Right. So it's it's really about um, you, and you don't know until you view it, right? And so that's a really that's a big struggle to explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, especially within a word count. <laughs> yes, when when you do have a word count, it was hard to to really word it, and to have, and you had to put more in that section too. It was also a copyright section, right? An ethics section. So within 500 words, or I think that one might be like 700 words, I had to ex- really explain how Alaska is separate, is different. At least than, within the cultural rights. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and we were trying very hard. We want to be respectful. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we need to know what's on the material. Yeah. And one of the reviewers in the previous application wanted me to give them more specifics about what's on the material. Right. Even though I told them I don't know because we've never been able to look at it. So I kind of had to explain that a little bit further. Yeah, that review process can be difficult because you think you've answered something. But clearly, you you either haven't gone quite far enough for all mm-hmm. the readers or maybe some readers skip that part yeah. for whatever reason. Some... I've reviewed plenty of grants and sometimes mm-hmm. in the morass of material that hits your desk, you do tend mm-hmm. to forget get you read something five minutes after you read it. So that's perfectly understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of the reviewers, you know, said I did a really great job at this, at this one part. And some of them said they needed more (laughs) in that part. So for the second round is kind of just trying to reword it, reword everything a little bit differently or further describe something than what I already described. Do you have any sense of how long that actually took you the initial grant writing and then the, the revision? How many hours? It just seemed like forever from my perspective, but that's maybe because I saw you struggling with it. So the first one took a lot longer. And just writing it, I don't know, maybe 15 hours. Okay. I would have said higher. 
It was a lot of reading it and then stepping away or writing mm-hmm. it and then right, stepping away. Right, right. So it, it's, it's it's over an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not something you just sit down and hammer out in two days. Yeah. And then making sure you got everything. And I think also, especially with the clear grant, what took the longest was breaking out all of the items mm-hmm. and figuring out the best way to have those within the grant as well. And then we also had to talk about policies, um, right. our digital preservation policies and because that is an aspect of the grant is how what are our workflows and what are how will we be saving the digital materials well that makes a certain amount of sense i can see why a granting agency might Mm -hmm. not want to pay for something to be digitized if you don't have the ability to preserve the digital copy exactly (laughs) yeah um so that took you know talking with you and gwen about what we all want to do with all of our materials going forward right Um, i mean we've had a lot of probably practices in place Mm -hmm. we just never really sat down and codified a lot of them so this ended Mm -hmm. up being a bigger project for you because you ended up doing the lion's share of some of that work Mm -hmm. and again we we kind of had some systems set up but they weren't perfect and and because they had they kind of grown organically to put the kindest possible spin on it um we weren't always consistent Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, that was that was an interesting conversation, and I have to admit, when you originally had said to me that you were thinking about going for this, it's it it really wasn't part of my mental scope for the project. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, it has to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then that's how we got the our separate server. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is a conversation for, for a totally time. different day. Yes, that was that would take like a half an hour to explain. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, and I just want to say that, you know, I'm really grateful for Clear Recording at Risk for awarding right. us this application and the Atwood Foundation as well. I know with Clear, it was a little bit more of a struggle for me personally than the Atwood Foundation, but I'm really, I'm really thankful that they, that they did approve the second, the second time around. And right. um, I really think that, you know, both grants will benefit our researchers, but in entirely different ways. I think Anchorage is going to be a lot more personal benefit. Um, a lot of people just like to look at old Anchorage, especially right. if they lived here and grew up here. And then I think with the clear grant, that one is going to be a lot more specific to our researchers that right. has a more specific subject. Um, and I, I think they're both great in their own ways, mm-hmm. um, and they will benefit our users a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, and um, and I'm thankful that I have a student working with me right now doing <laughs> the Atwood Foundation grant materials. Liam, I could not do it without him. <laughs> I'm really happy he's willing to he's willing to do it. So because right. it's very time consuming. Mm-hmm. It is. It takes a long time just to describe an item, especially an audio reel. Right. Um, he's going through the '64 earthquake reels right now, mm-hmm. and you don't want to over-describe it. You don't want to under-describe it. But you do want to mention who's talking. Right. Because it could be somebody's family member or in somebody's interest. So I am having him not listening too closely, but trying to get a decent list of of speakers. Right. Um, especially broadcasters is the right. focus for that one. So I'm helping him a little bit with that. But we've already had... Somebody on YouTube comment and thank us for making one of the earthquake reels available because 
their grandfather and father was one of the broadcasters. Oh, cool! That night, so that was pretty. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. So I, I commented back and I told them to keep listening or keep, right. you know, keep watching because we'll be uploading more. And you know, it really hit home as to why this is important. You know, a lot of people think of archives as a as strictly a place for research and the personal aspect seems to be set aside or a lot of people don't realize the personal the personal aspect or impact that archives have mm-hmm. on the community and for somebody just to listen to their their grandfather or father who has passed away can be can be instrumental to them right so do you think you've um, because these were two very different i mean Fundamentally, they're similar projects in that they're dealing with digitizing AV materials, but in many ways, they're also very disparate. I mean, you, you've got these very different granting agencies with very different focuses for their work, and, and every grant you go for out there, I think, has a slightly different angle on it or something, but is there any lessons you've learned over the course of doing these these grants? Um, obviously, you're not finished yet. Mm-hmm. But kind of from start to to three quarters of the way through, for example, that you think will, things that have taught you something about applying for grants and getting grants, other than don't give up? Yeah, (laughs) don't give up. If they turn you down, apply again. Um, I think one of the ways is kind of describing, learning to describe things in a different way so people can understand it. Mm -hmm. So the cultural sensitivities, that was something that I... You know, I described it in a way that I would to people who live in Alaska or people who have experience with the indigenous culture in Alaska Mm -hmm. and realizing that, oh, yeah, that's right. It is different outside. Right. So me. So I kind of learned to describe things for the people that it's going to. Mm -hmm. Another thing was, especially when you're working with AV materials, is to overestimate the cost. (laughs) Right. Um, so the Atwood Foundation grant, I asked for ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Initially, eighty two hundred dollars was to go towards digitization. Five hundred dollars was to go for shipping to and from our vendor, and then the last twelve hundred dollars or so would be my time spent on the grant. And nothing worked out the way I thought it was going <laughs> right. to. So digitization ended up costing eighty eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Shipping ended up costing six or seven hundred dollars and then I had about three hundred and fifty dollars for my time. Right. And with the Awood Foundation grant, you know, their funding process is a little bit different than Clear. So Clear is very strict on if you say it's gonna cost eight hundred dollars to digitize the film, then you're gonna spend that eight hundred dollars to digitize the film. Right. And you have to get permission to move money around. Right. Um, if it's over, I think, five percent. The Awood Foundation, they're not that strict. You can spend the ten thousand dollars on the project. Right. And what you say you're gonna be spending it on. Well and and in our case, I mean, we weren't going out necessarily to hire somebody to oversee right. this project. So coming off with an estimate where we didn't spend as much as personnel personnel as we would have liked. Well, it's, that's not great. I mean, it's nice to be able to offset personnel mm-hmm. dollars for people you've already got in place. But this is work that needed to be done right. anyway. It falls within the scope of your mm-hmm. job description. So it's not like that was a huge 
cut to us as as right. it would have been if we would have actually hired somebody to do this project, then that would have been a real problem, yeah. that kind of shortfall. So with the clear grant, that one um, I'm a little bit more worried about just mm-hmm. based on what I learned from the Alley Foundation grant. So I don't know if I'll be able to digitize all the materials right. under the clear grant because the unforeseen costs always tend to arise. Right. Especially with AV materials. I mean, well, and given the amount of work you did in estimating costs and working with the vendor to get estimates based on footage, length of footage, mm-hmm. things like that, it's it's not like you didn't do your due diligence. Right. You really spent a great deal of time trying to come up with digitization mm-hmm. estimates that were pretty accurate. But you, you can't predict a change in shipping from five hundred to eight hundred dollars. Right. I mean, how do you how do you know that's gonna hit? Even if yeah. you know the weight of these materials, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean the freighting rates don't just suddenly change based on size of box or something mm-hmm. that you have to account for. Which I think is the thing with the Atwood Foundation grant. I think that they're the vendor sending it back is, is a little bit is a lot higher than what we spent on our shipping right. there. Right. Yeah, I spent a lot of time, myself and students, going through every single item, (laughs) pretty much in our collections, all of our AV materials in our collections, right? and getting a list of almost every single AV item in our our holdings. And um, And while useful, that had to happen before you even applied for the grant, mm -hmm. so it's not like you'd ever get any sort of grant funding to do that kind of inventory. I mean, I suppose there are grants that you could go out and get specifically to do inventories, but Mm -hmm. in this case, we didn't. Yeah, and I mean, that took the longest. And then picking from there what is relevant to these grants and to our researchers, and then making sure, you know, doing an initial item level list with Mm -hmm. the format, which was probably the most difficult part for myself and the students, especially Mm -hmm. with all the different types of video Right. out there and some of our students had a hard time differenti- differentiating between film and audio reels ah uh, okay um so sometimes and that also happens so one of the things the Outward foundation grant one of the items that a student put as video mm-hmm. is film ah uh, and so that was that and to be fair but, our own descriptive materials were not always accurate i tripped across a collection not too long ago that said something was a <laughs> reel-to-reel audio tape, which is magnetic, and I pick it up, and I'm looking at screens. I mean, look at yeah. a little, little, and it's like, no, this is yeah. film. This is 8-millimeter film. You know, it, it wasn't just the students. It <laughs> it was just, sometimes it was us, yeah. you know. And plus, then, within that, we didn't always, we didn't, one of the things you created, for which I'm really appreciative, is kind of, you, you adapted and, and morphed together these things, so we have a control of the vocabulary now for AV materials. Mm-hmm. So as we're doing description, if we're using the same terms, that gives us the own ability within our own finding aids to just search by an item type mm-hmm. and find all the collections that have it in there. I don't know that we've gone back and fixed everything yeah, in our collection guides. Um, that's probably a project for a future day. But it, from here on out, we can use, at least use those terms accurately. Yeah. And that was that was one of the unpaid for uh, for me, huge benefits mm-hmm. of this because it does give us that better ability to get that kind of intellectual control over what like, we have. Like labeling something as video, okay, but what what format <laughs> video? And it doesn't mean VHS. It could be umatic. It could be two inch. I mean, it you could just be beta. It could be oh, yeah, beta. Like you just don't, <laughs> right. you don't know. And you know, our users maybe they don't care. 
Right. But I think if they, on some level, if they come in thinking it's a video, like a VHS, they're going to think that they can view it. Right. Whereas if it's umatic, although I think that can be changing because I had <laughs> I had actually somebody call us not too long ago, who had read through a finding aid, bless them, and said, "Oh, I see that there's VHS reference copies, but I'm not going to be able to watch those online because nobody mm-hmm. owns a VCR anymore." Well, yeah. yeah, we do, and that's not a problem. And these mm-hmm. are these are some these are not the preservation copy; they're not the originals. That's actually film in this case. Um, which are in beautiful shape, but we're not going to run through a projector. But I don't mind popping a, a duplicate copy of a VHS into our VHS machine and letting them sit and watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so video, audio cassettes are going to change too because we've right. had some people question that. Yeah, they don't know that we can yeah. play. We have the well, and yeah. you go to the store, I'm not sure you can buy a cassette player anymore. I don't know. I haven't tried. I, 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 I suppose you can because I know you can order like LP. Um, album players, uh, 33 and a third and yeah. such. So yeah. maybe <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, somebody's got one of these machines yeah. and they're selling it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the once you get these parts done, mm-hmm. next up is a secondary, uh, the second year of a request. So they always, that was one of the interesting things too, I think, between the two differences between the two is the Awood Foundation had kind of a rolling deadline. You mm-hmm. could apply for it whenever you wanted to apply for it. And I think that's probably not uncommon mm-hmm. for some of the local philanthropic organizations. Mm-hmm. But the federal ones, the bigger ones, tend to have very firm deadlines. Mm-hmm. It's due on this day, and you can only apply for it once a year. Mm-hmm. How did you feel that timing worked out? Was that was that a struggle to to meet that, that very distinct timeline it wasn't with the Atwood Foundation the clear grant was a little bit more difficult just because of how extensive everything had to be and Mm -hmm. you know writing the application and rereading the application and rereading it again and having other people people read it um so that one was kind of more that was a lot closer to the deadline than the Atwood Foundation Mm -hmm. and the Atwood Foundation I think because that was just an easier application to write, right. that one, I submitted that at least a week or two in advance, mm-hmm. whereas the clear grant was submitted, the first time around, it was submitted like three days in advance because mm-hmm. they ended up extending the deadline, <laughs> and I got it done right before they extended the deadline, yeah. um, and then that was the first round, and then the second round, I actually submitted like almost a month early because, you know, I made the changes that they recommended, and then I submitted it. Right. Yeah, and and I think that's, for me, been one of the challenges of grant apps is, it, depending on the application and how complicated it is and, and what the timelines are, these are often things that need to be done that are not going to be funded in any other way. Uh, otherwise, why would we go for a, a grant um, if our, our regular course of business paid for it? But this is being done on top of absolutely everything else mm-hmm. you're doing. It's yeah. very often in addition to, not instead of something on your workload. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tried my best to give you the freedom to do this, mm-hmm. but we still have a ref desk to staff. Yeah. You know, there's still collections coming in the door mm-hmm. that need to be described. Yeah. There are still other things going on. Yeah. My description of collections has gone down this year, I will say. <laughs> Um, well, and that's really frustrating. Physical if, collections, but not like, AV material yeah, going online. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, and that's one of the real challenges because it's really hard, especially in an environment where that we're at, where we are regularly describing, annually describing our productivity. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if you get the grant. Mm-hmm. But, but if when you don't. you don't get the grant, yeah. 
you know, you can say I applied for a grant, but you don't really want to advertise the fact that you didn't get a grant because that's just embarrassing. And I, and, but yet that's time taken out. And I will say that's really one of the other reasons why I wanted to get (laughs) this grant the second time around because I had spent so much of my time. Right. And getting those letters of recommendation from Mm -hmm. three people who, Really wanted to see this done as well, and I didn't want to let them down, especially one of our researchers who is really looking forward to this. So because of all the time spent, I was like, well, if I don't get it, then that's all this time that I can't get back. And I I guess that might be a little bit selfish um, the second time around, but... Well, from a from a unit perspective, it's not all that selfish because we have the same thing going on because we still have the same workload. Mm And, and and even getting the grant, you know, that's time you're spent doing something that that we have to yeah. make sure we can accommodate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be yeah, it can be difficult from kind of a manage management administrative standpoint. And thankfully, you've been really cognizant of that. Not that I do all that much administration mm-hmm. in the department. You know, we tend to do a lot of that together. Mm-hmm. But it's. It's this additional responsibility and additional time. And unless you're willing to really spend the time, it's not going to go well. And, you know, it's why I'm thankful I have a student. And I, you know, made the decision that I'll start doing some of the items myself and describing them myself, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if I'm on the reference desk. It's, you know, it's easily interruptible. So I can go back to describing. And it's not necessarily something you need to sit down and really concentrate on for six. In fact, you probably wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. These are things that need to be broken up into kind of Mm -hmm. discrete chunks of time. Yeah. So what's your next grant? Ha. (laughs) Um, Well, I want to reapply for funding for the Atwood Foundation grant to keep the anchorage going. Um, I do want to change the materials that I had selected for the second year. I want to switch things around a bit. Oh, now why would that be? Some of it is I didn't choose all of UAA Athletics mm-hmm. to do. Um, and there's like two video in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I had a reason back when I did the selection. And I don't know what it, that reason is now. Right. Um, but I figure, you know, if I'm doing seven items, I might as well do all ten. Right. You know. And then the other one is... Um, because we just got in the Peter Gordon Gould papers, right? And he was—he's considered the like the father of Alaska Methodist University now, Alaska Pacific University, and he was the first Methodist minister mm-hmm. in Alaska Native. He was the first Alaska Native Methodist minister, mm-hmm. and we do have some materials in our collections where he is giving a speech, right? And. I didn't select any of the APU stuff until the third year. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm thinking maybe splitting some of the APU up and doing some of that in the next year. Right. Because we did get in that collection, and I, it's an interesting collection. He is somebody who means a lot to Alaska Pacific University. Right. And I think that would benefit the APU community. Right. Um, who we represent and, as a yeah, library. And we represent. And, you know, we're the UEA APU Consortium Library. Right. So um, I kind of want to do APU next year. Mm-hmm. And then there's some materials in a couple collections that were either missed during the inventory process mm-hmm. or are recent additions that might be slightly more interesting than the stuff that I'd already selected, particularly for our users, really. Right. Um, so I'm kind of thinking about going back and rearranging what I had for years, yeah, two and three. Sense. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... 
you can never really assume any given inventory mm-hmm. is static, especially when you have an active collecting program, which yeah. we do. Yeah. And Plus, our users seem to change topics. Exactly. So what might be a high priority <laughs> one year isn't such a high priority another year. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of thinking about maybe I should do the Symphony League next year instead mm-hmm. of year three, and then maybe move some of the political stuff that I had for year two into year three, um, right. just based on what is kind of going on in the state right now, what's relevant to the state, what's relevant to our users. And mm-hmm. and I also think on YouTube, a lot of people are interested in performances. Right. So it's not just even our users that we can think about. It's you, It's people across the world who could Potential. have an interest yeah. to the, these items. And we do serve them. We mm-hmm. get those calls and those yeah. emails worldwide based on what people discover on our website. We have a lot of international users. We so. do. Yeah, so I'm kind of thinking about that a little bit and rearranging that. That's my next grant. Okay. (laughs) The same grant I got, but different. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us for Archiving AK. This has been part two of our July doubleheader podcast. We haven't quite decided on what our August podcast will be, but we have a few things in the works, so we'll call it to be determined for now.